You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience and artists intended to demystify the classical music and opera art form. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It's available via Spotify and Audioboom. That way, you'll hear about the latest podcasts as they become available. Be sure to follow Thoroughly Good on Twitter or on Facebook, and you'll find the blog at thoroughlygood.me. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you? No. Oh. People normally pause, think, and Do then they? tell me. No, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. You haven't done that, how very disappointing. Um, the PR is reminding you that the Aurora new season on Monday. Is it? What are we oh. doing? Well, you don't know what it is, and well, I is don't know what it is. Apparently, okay. uh, but well, I don't know what it is, and you don't know what brochure, it is. Our brochure's probably coming out. That's right. For right. the nineteen twenty season. Do you know what's in it? I oh, know. I certainly know what's in it. I think that's what she's prompting right. you to say. Oh yeah, no exciting stuff. Oh, uh, really? I think that's why we're here. Right, our concerts um, at South Bank and King's Place. Yeah, yeah, but what's in it? Uh huh. Conductor Nicholas Collin cuts a distinctive feature on stage. I've always thought tall, wiry, curly-haired. He maintains a vigour and freshness that along with the orchestra he founded in 2005, the Aurora Orchestra, he manages to cut through what must seem to some outside the classical music bubble, like a bit of a melee of names and faces, all effectively selling the same thing. The Aurora Orchestra has, to my mind at least, an appeal which is possibly difficult to pin down. It's unfussy, unpretentious, stylish, fun, playful, inventive. Importantly though for me, it's a brand that is all the things I'd quite like to be myself if only I had the talent and the team around me. That a collection of players and a handful of creative administrators can conjure up that image and convey that message implicitly to an audience member, well, that's quite refreshing. It could, of course, be the case that what I've just said is nothing but a series of assumptions, expectations or indeed needs that I'm projecting onto the Aurora Orchestra. Either way, it works for me and for anyone interested in branding. That's quite some achievement. I've wanted to speak to Nicholas for a while now. My recollection may be a little hazy, but possibly even for four months. With Aurora's 2019-2020 season announced this week, an opportunity arose to interview Nicholas. Don't be misled by the podcast opener. Colin did, after a little cajoling, reveal one or two of the details that we can look forward to in the forthcoming season. Listen to the end of the podcast episode for those details. Arguably, Aurora's profile was increased considerably What by what I now learn post-interview is seen by some considerably more mean-spirited than I am as something of a gimmick. This year, in the final week of the 2019 proms, Colin and the orchestra did the same with Berlioz Symphony Fantastique, an annotated concert comprising memoirs and additional backstory spoken in between movements by actor Matthew Bainton. Berlioz's writing is, is a fascinating study in orchestration anyway, and performance of it illuminated a period of music history when the sound an orchestra could make shifted radically. It's a work that fits with Aurora's purpose, but not everyone agrees with the approach. Nicholas will elucidate more in the conversation that follows. In between all of that, you'll hear excerpts from rehearsals recorded last week in Cecil Sharp House.
rehearsing in Maidabel Studios, actually not music, I've been rehearsing speaking for a prom that we're doing with Aurora Orchestra next week on the 12th of September. We're playing the Berlioz Symphony Fantastique from memory and that gives the opportunity to do little things like move players around. What we're actually doing next week is quite a lot more significant in terms of adding visual or, uh, I don't like the word, but theatrical elements to our performance of the Berlioz itself. Why do you not like the word theatrical? Orchestral theatre is in the series title, is it not? Uh, it is, and it's qualified by the word orchestral. Okay. So there's a um, there's a whole sort of... Yeah. When you put anything above or on top of music, you're opening yourself up to um, reasonable criticism of um, why you're obfuscating or in some places deprioritizing the music uh, which I think is a really interesting question um, so to put that in simpler words uh, why do I need to see anything on top of a piece that I know and love watching You know, like say Berlioz is absolutely fantastic what we try and do with this kind of thing when, when we are adding anything visual or dramatic to a concert is always put the music first that's really our, our priority, is that the, the genius of the notes that we're playing and our love for it, our enthusiasm for it, comes across. And that is the number one priority. And we might find ways, perhaps, of shedding light on things that, that we can do and enthusing, elucidating elements of the music. So in our proms in the last four or five years, we've played... A symphony from memory, which we think gives a, a different and, and very interesting insight into communication with the audience, or um, you know, a visual presentation of how the music works. It gives a different kind of energy from a standard performance. I'm not saying it's better or worse; it's just a, a different thing. And uh, what we're doing this year in, in our prom is taking that a bit further and trying to bring out elements of Berlioz's extraordinary colourful programme, his synopsis about the Symphony of Fantastique, you know, the story from his own life, and tell more about the story, you know, because I think a lot of people might know it, but even for those people who do know it, there's there's amazing colour in the backstory to it, in his own words, Berlioz's words that he wrote in his memoirs and letters. Uh, so we're, we're expanding the piece, which is nearly an hour long, into a, a sort of one-and-a-half-hour concert. So it is dramatic, with the addition of an actor. Uh, so there's the addition of an actor, Matt Bainton, who is possibly well-known from Horrible Histories, and he will be taking on the role of Berlioz, reading, reciting Berlioz's words, particularly the synopsis of the symphony itself, talking about that story of Berlioz falling in love with the Irish actress Harriet Smithson, who was part of an English Shakespeare company at the time, and... Um, how this then invests itself in the symphony it becomes a melody that we see throughout the symphony and I'll break that down a little bit in, in terms of musically um, but also we'll take that a little bit further and, and make some elements visually stand out as well in terms of how the orchestra plays uh, so some little bits of, of um, staging and scene, scenic help uh, What do you get from storytelling? Because I get the impression that you love storytelling 
I sort of get this idea that that's where this is reaching. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, a lot of our concerts um, tell a story and even ones where the music itself is completely abstract, you know. Uh, I don't think you can claim that Mozart's Jupiter Symphony tells a story itself, but if we... No, but you are, you yeah. are interested in shaping the in story shaping it, around, exactly. uh, around either abstract yeah, yeah, yeah. work Precisely. or finding something that is rich. Pre- precisely, yes. Yeah. So, so often we will take even abstract works and, and create a, a journey over uh, a concert where there's a sort of narrative thread to it and allow people to go on a, a journey. Um, I think that's really just because it's an interesting thing to do and and there's no reason why not I mean there's there's such a sort of uh, fixation with a very uh, standard possibly stale um, way of uh, structuring a concert which is you know well in the standard way it's, it's an overture a concerto an interval and a symphony um, it's actually really interesting even if you look a hundred years ago uh, programs were, n- were nothing like that Look at the proms programs. They were made up of lots of little bits mm. of different pieces, loads of different things. Well, they went on for hours. They went on for hours as well, <laughs> yeah. God. I know. Three, well, the, that, that famous Beethoven concert in 1808. The, 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 the featured all Beethoven. Eight, oh. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's, to be honest, we don't actually really mess around much with, with the format of a concert. Um, we just like to surprise people and make people think and and see or hear the music in in different ways there is a playfulness though that's what i'm trying to get at i i sense there's a playfulness in the programming there's a sort of a it's not it's not necessary i wouldn't see it as a, a desire to undermine or shock but just to have fun i am thinking specifically about something that i saw at st john smith square the program notes were an absolute joy they were a visual delight it was a new work coupled with Brahms' first symphony. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it was, um, it was an immersive thing, partly because of the program notes in my lap. I think they folded in and out, <laughs> but also to do with the fact that it was hugely entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. No, so fun. I think there's a playfulness. There, Definitely. Yeah. No, fun is a big word that we talk about a lot in terms of Aurora. Um, you know, have, finding the joy in these things and being able to express it and not being ashamed of it, being very upfront with with those things, those adjectives: joy, fun, expression. Um, and you know, if you see other art forms at work, <laughs> you see a lot of those emotions much more readily and visually than you do, say, in a lot of music, classical music performance, and that. Again, I, I'm at pains to say it doesn't. You know, you don't. If you go and watch the Vienna Philharmonic playing under Heiting last night or whatever, you will see the most incredible integrity of performance. And it, it's you wouldn't want anything different or anything more. That that's there for its own place. It's giving another dimension to how to look at music.
Where did this thinking come from? Because you are, if you don't mind me flattering you, um, young, um, and certainly younger than me. And so I'm wondering, and your rise has happened quickly. You start, you founded Aurora in 2005. Where did that thinking for Aurora come from? Ooh. Um, yeah. It Ooh. wasn't there in the beginning, particularly. I mean, I suppose our first concerts were slightly unusual repertoire, slightly uh, daring. But, you know, it was Debussy, Schoenberg, Hindemith and Wagner was our first concert. Uh, I think there was um, a musical adventure, a sense of musical adventure in the playing. So we always had that um, a sense of virtuosity. You know, the, the players that were in Aurora were extremely um, able, uh, you know, to, to the point that it was, certainly we played a lot of contemporary music, it was a really virtuosic ensemble in those days. Um, and I think we, we sort of, about 10 years ago, started to just think about the kind of presentation of a concert that we might be able to do. And it, it certainly wasn't just me, it's um, my wife Jane who who is the creative director of the orchestra, who actually has pushed um, a lot in that direction. John Hart, the CEO, um, in some ways I'm the most uh, standard traditional of the three of us, actually. So there's, there's a really interesting, nice tension between us in the way we, we program and think about what kind of concerts we should be giving. And then certain things just evolved quite naturally. We we did a series at LSO Luke's back in 2009 called New Moves, and we started experimenting there, little bits where players would play from memory and move, and there was always a collaboration with another art form, young people from other art forms, you know, theatre, dance, uh, film, literature, whatever, just thinking about expanding the concert a little bit. And people loved those concerts. The audience loved it. We used to get lots of people from from the background of those art forms we were collaborating with who didn't know music. So we did, you know, we did some Lully with Capoeira, this sort of martial arts slash dance form, uh, and and we had you know hundreds of people who came there um, who'd never heard any classical music, let alone Lully, um, who loved Capoeira and and came to see these brilliant Brazilian um, Capoeiristas. And loved it, and and that's a really, uh, you know, fascinating and a really important thing to do in terms of winding audiences. What do you account for your development? What three things do you account for your development as a conductor? Mm. Do you mean development as a conductor in terms of technique or in terms of career? <laughs> They're different things. Let's go with career first. Career. Um, I would say firstly uh, well Aurora was a wonderful stepping stone um, it was a wonderful uh, and has been still is of course um, an opportunity to work with my own friends and colleagues in quite a relaxed environment but at a very very high level uh, I was also fortunate just to work with lots of amateur orchestras when I first left university and that was, that was an amazing way of learning repertoire and trying it out um, I mean, I wouldn't say that sort of, you know, propelled me in any use, useful way career-wise, but it, it was what uh, made me a better conductor, certainly. Um, and I don't know, I think in terms of development, I've, 
not been too stressed about about what what it might become. You know, you seem to be playing your hair with your hair like you need to wash it. I <laughs> Do <laughs> are I? Are you yeah. feeling slightly uncomfortable by this? Question, I, I, no, I don't know. I I, I don't know. It's just. Um, it sounds as though you haven't been asked it before. No, I don't think I ever ever have. I think, um, you know, I've wanted to be a conductor from a very early age, but. On the other hand, I'm certainly someone that, that realises that there is more to life. Uh, so I think like ambition at the same time as perspective is, is really important, and I hope I've had that. Uh, how do you maintain perspective? Oh, I mean, you do seem I mean, quite normal, I have to say. I'm pretty normal. Family, uh, uh, you know, I have two kids, one more on the way. There's nothing more grounding than family, I think. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of noise at home. Of noise, I, you know, I Toys absolutely anywhere. try and pull my weight as a as a dad. I, I, that's very now important. You're hanging your head. Yeah, no, I don't. Well, I go away a lot. It suggests guilt. I go away a lot, so I do. I do feel guilty. You know, my wife is is despite being a musician, she's sort of, uh, you know, reasonably anti the trappings of, um, of what a let's say an international conductor is um, so I don't you know the old fashioned concepts of a conductor like a maestro uh, do not interest me or appeal to me and I suppose also the way I work with orchestras tends to be as collegial as I can and, and sometimes that works and sometimes orchestras look for something different but for me it's making music together and um, you know my greatest love is probably chamber music even more than orchestral music did you hesitate then uh, around the finished orchestra given your your ob- obvious love of being at home and uh, and desire to pull your weight uh, was was there any kind of hesitation there because actually that's a big it's a big, that's commitment. A big commitment yeah it's taking over from another job i have in holland so it'll be a similar time commitment passing over to uh, the Finnish Radio Symphony Orchestra um, but no I didn't I couldn't hesitate because it's a wonderful orchestra and I'm very very lucky to be asked when conductors say that uh, it's not that I'm cynical obviously it is a wonderful orchestra but I wonder what you know when you when the first idea was mooted what made you go oh yeah because obviously I've never been in that. I mean, obviously I've got jobs and I've been offered jobs and I've been, yeah, I'd like to work for them. But uh, I'm interested in what makes a conductor excited about the possibility of working with a different orchestra. Well, in that first instance, you don't necessarily believe it's going to happen. So, you know, it's quite a long process. It's not like you've gone for a particular job interview and, and then <laughs> they phone, and phone you up. No. <laughs> and then they fo- How annoying. <laughs> well, I guess for some, I mean, for some scenarios it, it would be but uh, yeah they don't sort of yeah so when I got fill in an application form going for no, the no. and keep your fingers crossed no and, and, and in the process that you know it took several months and, and it was receiving information that they were very keen for me to take that position and then there were all sorts of you know orchestral meetings about that and um, uh, actually in this case it was a very easy process very very quick um, and I'd only been in once before with them a couple of years ago but I remembered that as an extremely positive experience and all the things that, that the orchestra there does chime with me as a musician so um, like uh, lots of adventurous contemporary music um, uh, an incredible discipline in their rehearsals so they're very quiet they're very focused they're, they're really able 
musicians. Uh, technically unbelievable, really. Um, wonderful concert hall. So when you say they're quiet, you mean you'll rehearse, you'll start the rehearsal, they won't chitter, chatter. Absolutely not. Which, which is surely quite daunting because it means if you're if you're stopping them, you've got to know exactly what you want oh, to. But look, conductors love that, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's nothing worse than fighting. You know, when you stop the rehearsal and you think you've got something useful to say and then it takes a minute to get quiet and then by the time you've got round to that point, actually the wind has gone out your sails for what you want to, to achieve anyway. Okay. I mean, you know, every orchestra is different. Like my work with Aurora is, is very different. It's, it's probably noisier and more lively because um, everyone's a little more, you know, they all know me very well. Uh, I'm conducting people like my wife and my, some of my best How friends. How does that help? Not very much, <laughs> to be honest. No, I mean, does it, does it mean that... Um, other things that can be under that don't need to be said when you've worked with oh, a yeah, band for yeah. a long time. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and in concerts, we just have a really fun time, and it's and it's um, so much it c is done just visually, and we catch each other's eyes, and we're just having fun all the time. So conversely, then, mm. what is the what is the experience of working with an orchestra that you haven't had a relationship with for a long time? It's, it's, um, Re you, really exciting yeah so when I went there a couple of months ago for my first proper concert there since I got the job it was well it's like you know for me it's a discovery because I'm thinking wow this is you know the orchestra I'm going to be working with for the next how many years and oh yeah that th this works really well this is something I would perhaps think of changing this is how I would you know create this kind of sound um, and it, that that week was really exciting, and we worked together very very well. And um, and it's a different group of people with different mentality. You know, there's lots of Finnish people in that orchestra. It's a different culture. It's um, very different from Aurora. And and I love that actually. I love the difference in in approach. I can be someone slightly different when I'm there as opposed to what I am with say Aurora. What do you bring from Aurora to? that particular role I suppose when you have conducted an orchestra like Aurora and you have felt that particular energy and freedom in a concert that comes from for example an immersion in a work like we do with our memorized stuff or um, that kind of obsessive uh, desire for reaching new heights with the music which everyone in the orchestra has there is no one in that group who is there as a day job they are there because they are so excited about that music that uh, you you that that sets a certain standard for that kind of mentality and and you want to expect that from other orchestras that you work with
want to be doing 10 years ago? Um, oh, I would have been 26. Goodness. I, I, yeah, I think I would have been excited to have a job with another symphony orchestra. That was a, an aim. As much as you can have an, a specific aim like that. Doing what we're doing with Aurora is amazing. I mean, you know... Yeah, I don't uh, get any sense I of, was, you know, I'm, I'm tired of Aurora. No, I don't, don't, I don't get that. But. No, look, I was, as 16 years old, playing the Salvatore Fantastique in the proms with the National Youth Orchestra with Roger Norrington. Were you? I was. Uh, what year was that, please? 2000, summer of 2000. So if someone had said to me uh, 19 years ago, you'll be doing that as a conductor in... in you know, 19 years, I would have hit the roof. I mean, my first introduction to uh, this happens a lot in the podcast. We end up talking about me just for a moment. Uh, my first introduction to Berlioz Symphony Fantastique was by uh, Dennis McColden, my professor of music, playing Roger Norrington and the London classical, classical players' yeah. recording of uh, the Berlioz. It was the most incredible thing I'd ever heard. Mm. It is. Uh, and I think I think what Rod, what what Norrington did with it was just remarkable. That was amazing. Yeah, and it certainly influenced me in how I do it massively. That was that was a, a an incredible concert. What did he? What do you recall of him with the MIN? Well, no vibrato. <laughs> from <laughs> day was one. that written in, or did he actually? Just no, it was say basically that? written. No, it was. I mean, all the people who rehearsed the orchestra before he came along were absolutely instructed to do that that was you know for a 16 year old was that a bit weird it was a very new idea for us uh, yeah it was a bit weird um, but I loved it <laughs> god I loved it I loved the sound of it well uh, describe the sound completely changes for Berlioz completely changes the the lines I, I, I feel it's so important. In some composers, it doesn't bother me particularly, but in Berlioz, Schumann, Handel can't cope with Handel, not on period instruments. It, you just. But in Berlioz, there's um, there's a sort of soulful pain in the line, in the melody, in the long notes, that just does not work with lots of vibrato. Not for me. I'm sure lots of people like it, but. Um, people mistake that it's a sentimental melody. Or, uh, or a lot of his stuff you is take, sentimental. Take bar three of the Symphony Fantastic. Yes, uh, it, it's still it's just played in such a saccharine way yes. by most symphony orchestras. It can be very quiet, very beautiful. It just doesn't do anything for me. Sorry. <laughs> I remember it being hearing it for the first time. I remember it having a hardness to it, a sort of a um, almost a brittleness, and and it made it made the colours in the orchestration it was an orchestration course that Dennis McColden mm. ran by the way um, uh, it made the colours vibrant almost technicolour almost unbearable to experience mm. yeah lots of that is the period instruments so we can get the raz of the horns or the really natural timpani which you know we don't we don't play on period instruments we'll have a couple of natural trumpets and smaller timpani that kind of thing um, we'll never recreate that sound world but we certainly think a lot particularly with the strings about colour Are you tempted by uh, that world? Period instruments what well, with Aurora? Uh, well possibly or just generally speaking Yeah I mean I've conducted quite a bit I've conducted this piece on, on period instruments with um, Lessie Eckler the French period instrument orchestra and it's wonderful I, I really enjoy finding a sort of hybrid 
sound with a modern orchestra. Well, I mean, on modern instruments. Because um, they also bring something different too, and they bring other exciting things. Like, for example, the sound of the brass in the fourth and fifth movements, which may lack some laser elements but, and some, some brilliance, but they, the weight of it, the, that sound, can be really thrilling also. How is it that you manage to keep so thin? Do you, not, do you just not eat very much, no, or do you go running? I eat a huge amount right. and far too much, uh, and too many sweet things. Right. I do you exercise a lot? I, do, I try to exercise every day. I don't think I'm very thin though. <laughs> I'm about to be less thin. I'm sure. Okay. Well, um, uh, were you good at sport at school? I wouldn't say good. I mean, but elements of me are very aren't like I'm really awful swimmer. I definitely enjoyed football. I played um, a lot of football. Maths. Were you good at chemistry? Was maths a sport? No, I'm asking you about subjects. Now. Maths. I, I, I can see what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> I, I was reasonably academic. Yeah. Right. Prefect. No, no, never. I was quite naughty. Uh, how were you naughty? I got chucked out of my school. Did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, much respect. Did you get a Blue Peter badge? Never. That wouldn't right. have been me. That wouldn't. You wouldn't no. have done that. No. You wouldn't have even entertained the idea. Not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I really like you. <laughs> That's great because I tried really hard to get a Blue Peter badge and I didn't get one. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you? In, no. Oh. People normally pause, think, and Do then they? tell me. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. think so. You haven't done that. I'm very disappointed. Um, the PR is reminding you that the Aurora new season on Monday. Is it? What are we oh. doing? I don't know. I've been told by Maddie to tell you something. Well, you don't know what it is, and well, I don't it, know what it is. Apparently, okay. uh, but well, I don't know what it is, and you don't know what it is. Our brochure's probably coming out. That's right. For right. the 1920 season. Do you know what's in it? Ah, no. I certainly know what's in it. I think that's what she's prompting right. you to say. Oh yeah, no, exciting stuff. Oh, <laughs> really? Uh, I think that's why we're here. Right, our <laughs> concerts um, at South Bank and King's Place. Yeah, yeah, but what's in it? Uh-huh. Uh, well, you'll have to have a look. Uh, so we continue our series at King's Place with Mozart right. Piano Concertos. Right. In fact, it's near, we're coming to the end. We're getting to the really good ones now. We've done a whole series of, of all 27 so I think we're doing 19 to about sort of 25 or something next uh, next season, uh, and loads of interesting music that goes with that. I get the impression that you can't remember everything. In I, get, I can remember absolutely. <laughs> quiz me on a concert, and I'll tell you what's <laughs> really. <Yeah. laughs> uh, carry on then. Well, what are the highlights? Um, <laughs> no, no, no. It's now you phrase it like that. Is it? Uh, we're doing Mendelssohn's What's in bold at the top of the Mendelssohn's, <laughs> Mendelssohn's third symphony, Prokofiev's first symphony, right? Uh, Gershwin Rhapsody in Blue with Tom Poster, Bartok's really? Miraculous Mandarin Suite. Um, we're doing uh, Louis Farronk's Fer- uh, third symphony. That's with conductor Duncan Ward, Lord. and the twenty-second piano concerto with Angela Hewitt. Um, well, now you're on a roll, aren't you? I can tell because you've fixed your gaze in the I, middle of distance. Uh, Beethoven now. 6 from memory with um, Ingrid do you do Flitter. Ev- do you do everything from memory? No. Uh, so why not? <laughs> why would we? <laughs> uh, no, we do. Well, may- I realise that's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> maybe a couple. So next year we are doing Beethoven's, because it's Beethoven's um, thingamajig. Uh, what is it? His, what is it? His... Uh, 250th. Thank you, yeah, 250th. It's going to be a long, heavy, rich yeah. year, isn't he, it? 
Yeah, well, we are doing uh, his third symphony, from memory, in the South Bank, um, with Ode to Napoleon Schoenberg and Pierre Laurent, MR, and the Beethoven Fourth Piano Concerto. Already billed as a mesmerising performance, I've read somewhere. It will be. Yeah, I'm sure it will, yeah. And uh, we are doing Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, uh, from memory, also, and that's at King's Place. And we're doing his first symphony, but with the music. Do you like that you do that? That people know you for doing stuff from memory? Because I got I got no, the impression really, at the beginning no. of the interview that 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 actually you sort of felt feel like that's not what we all do. You know, it's not the only thing that we do. Yeah, yeah, what, what is your? I mean, that's that's how your profile has been raised. I'd suggest. Maybe. Um, What's your beef with it? Because people get the wrong end of the stick. Or, no, they get their own end of the stick. But I think people... Um, On what end of the stick? People are hold? extraordinarily... Can be um, combative about the concept of an orchestra playing a memory. They? Oh, they can. Who? Like people or like indeed, who? Don't name them. That or indeed bad. orchestras playing with, say, what we're going to do next week in the proms, um, you know, visual elements, staging elements, whatever, because they, they have a, a fixed idea of the purity of, of orchestral music and what that what, is. What, what, would, what would their beef be about playing for memory? Why? Why bother? What does that bring? <gasps> what should they do? <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, we get a huge amount of that. To which As my answer is, well, why, why not? not? <laughs> and, and you don't have sure. to come. Um, but uh, do you mean journalists ask you Oh, that? everything, yeah, yeah. The, I think... I think um, I think it has shifted a bit since we've been doing it. The thing is, I'm never pre pretending that it's an important uh, sort of um, movement in the way that, say, the period instrument movement was. It's not like I'm pretending that every orchestra should do you do think this. they think that? I don't know. I think that there's just a, a, a sense of A, why, and B, isn't it a gimmick? Right. Um, and we can. there's only so many times you can say, well, it's, it's not a gimmick. It's something that we has a really valid reason for us embarking upon it. I spoke to Johnny Sellis, uh, Solomon's Knot, and I've said I'm a big fan of Solomon's Knot because there is a remarkable energy when they perform. Uh, I don't think anybody would consider what they do as a gimmick. Well, I think... Um, uh, unless so I've been very naive, I don't... Uh, I it's, it's, it's more... slightly more connected to traditional with choirs and singers isn't it so a lot of choirs have over the last century whatever or <laughs> centuries you know sung from memory and it really is uh, quite rare right. for orchestras so and there's perhaps something about being able to sing text from memory which people like so yeah they probably don't don't view it with such suspicion well I think all of those negative opinions are stuff and nonsense I totally get how it frees up thinking and um, provides a different kind of expression but then you kind of know that already and um, <laughs> you know, I don't need to be telling you something you know already. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you? No, I don't think so. Great, <laughs> great. That is a trick
You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, available on Spotify and Audioboom. To get in touch, please tweet at Thoroughly Good. You can also follow Thoroughly Good on Facebook and read the blog at thoroughlygood.me.